So I'm not gonna lie, I feel a little bit shaken up right now. I just had my first performance in a hospice and it was a very strong experience and I got some feedback at the end that was also a very strong experience that made me question what I'm doing with my music and who I am as a musician and as a person. So I've been really looking forward to this gig for a while. Um, I had been connected through a friend with uh, a wonderful woman who sort of for decades has been single-handedly running an organization that gets musicians of all kinds um, into hospitals and other institutions and gets them paid and really does a quality job of this, which uh, the service that is often either left to very overworked uh, and underpaid music therapists or um, left to volunteers, which, you know, who I am one of, um, but who are generally speaking not as experienced and not as reliable as people who are paid. And so there's this, this real need for music in places where people could really use some, some uh, feeling, uh, whether it's joy or something else that music can bring in the connection and the normalcy and the, the energy and the movement of music, I think I've seen how much it just wakes people up from dementia um, and it, how it calms people who are agitated, how it connects people to their past and to other people in the room, how it connects people to staff and families and patients, kind of it just changes the whole environment. So I'm on board for this and really wanting to learn how I can help bring music into hospitals, but also wanting to learn how to singing in, in these spaces can make me a better musician and a, and a more full person. And um, so I feel relatively experienced since I've been doing volunteering at a children's hospital for um, several months and was working at a hospital before that, um, an adult hospital as a volunteer. And this is my first paid gig doing this kind of service music. And um, I went in there, you know, knowing that it's a trial basis and trying to, you know, I think I was like an hour early and tried my best to prepare myself and talked with some folks who do this for a living um, and who have been doing it for a long time about how to, how to um, approach it. And the way that I ended up um, settling on trying to approach it was thinking about um, entering a room and asking what is necessary here? What does this... Um, person and the situation uh, I'm entering in this room need, and then what do I have to offer, and how can I, how can I serve it? And sometimes the answer to that might not be music. Sometimes it might be music, but improvised and something that invites the patient to participate. Sometimes it might be a song that I know, but just sung in, in a different style or in a different way. And other times it might just be like an old standard like stand by me or you've really got a hold on me that could that I, that you know everyone's just going to perk up and sing along with if it's a larger group of family or staff in there and it's really sort of mysterious how you get the information about what should be done at that moment that you walk in but there's so much available and this person this woman who was leading me around was really very skilled and no nonsense in um in picking up on those cues and giving me little pointers and tips on how I might 
listen better and respond better. I should mention that when she brought me in, she introduced me to um, the person, or the contact liaison at the hospice, who had been, I think, running it for a while. Um, we immediately connected and uh, had a... I, I told them that I used to write obituaries, and they were excited about that. I think uh, the hospice lady was also kind of obsessed with obituaries, and so we got to we got to geek out about that, and that felt good. Um, it felt like a very promising start. But as I started going around the 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 floor, I it was it was just different from the other hospitals I've been to, even the children's hospital. Um, I guess I don't have any children, so there's no sort of really close-to-home resonance, but I have a niece, and I, I love children, and it's hard to see them suffering or see them low energy and not really understand if they're going to, if what they have is something they're going to leave the hospital with and have for the rest of their life or be cured of or maybe never leave the hospital. So that's that's heavy, but something different about walking around in on a floor of people who Maybe there are some exceptions, but generally speaking, people who are not going to leave there alive and who know that, or in, or in many cases, who are not responsive and who are already seemingly making the transition into death. The, just the faces, the frozen expressions of pain and the sort of vacant or blank expressions on people's faces was a lot to deal with. And I made a point of being opening myself up, of not shutting down and just sort of going with a routine or a script, but really trying to take in and the information that was coming to me um, and keep eye contact as much as possible when it was available and keep just visual, physical proximity to, to really dive in. And, you know, it's funny, usually on these rounds, I remember individual patients very clearly because of some interaction, something they request from me, some way that they sing along. Maybe there's a difference in age or, or their alertness. But in this hospice, I mean, there were a few people who were with it enough to talk. Um, but most people were older and most people were dying. And I guess in that way, in, in some way, it was a little, it should have been easier because old people die, and we know that. Um, and there's something natural about that. Um, but not today, it didn't feel that way. Um, so there were a, a, a number of Russian people. I have to learn at least one Russian folk song that I can really recognize, get them to recognize. There, um, I generally speaking would do a Brazilian ballad for them um, because I just felt like the harmonic language is something that might be familiar to them. Some, something about the Brazilian harmonic language feels like it resonates with the great Slavic art songs. But who knows, maybe that's just my own pretentious fantasy. <laughs> um, there were a bunch of Latin uh, rooms folks from the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and Mexico. And um, there were at least three or four patients with Latin names. And I was also really feeling the lack of, a, of a, some Spanish repertoire. I really need to develop that if I'm going to keep doing this work. Um, but, you know, Motown or, 
uh, reggae tended to go over pretty well over there. And then there were some younger people, and that was hard. The last person I sang to, actually, I, um, I was told that she was going to be unresponsive, and so I went in there s trying to sing a lullaby to her, a Brazilian lullaby by Javan. Um, but um, eventually felt like that was just feeling wrong. It was feeling like it wasn't the right thing. I didn't know why. So I just started improvising, making up a lullaby, and with ahs and some humming. and That felt really good. Felt like she was sort of perking up and getting interested in it. And then um, my guide, uh, mentor, leaned into the room and said, hey, why don't you try something she could recognize? So I immediately switched gears and started playing some Smokey Robinson. I don't like you, but I love you. Seems like I'm always thinking of you. Whoa, you treat me badly. I love you madly. You really got a hold on me. And man, she seemed to, both of her eyes opened at that point. It had just been one eye squinting at me and then both eyes opened and started closed again. And I felt like that was a really good tip. Like I sort of had been, for lack of a better metaphor, like I had sort of been th singing to her as if she was dying. And my guide reminded me to sing to her like she was alive. And like I was alive, you know, which is something we had in common at that moment to try to bring her a little normalcy instead of the kind of lull her to death. And so, see, so I don't know, I, I started, I think I just was felt very full at the end of the hour and 20 minutes I spent on that floor because it was sort of unrelenting from one room into another with no real pause and the different feeling in each room, the different human being to acknowledge, and the different song and the different way it was bouncing off. I mean, it was just a lot. So we get finished, and I go and sit down in the cafeteria with my guide, and I just begin talking, and it becomes really clear pretty quickly that she's trying to be nice about it, but she really she doesn't feel like it went very well. And that's kind of shocking to me. I guess I have a real strong self-image as, as someone who like does things right. I think I really need to feel like I'm succeeding and meeting expectations in order to feel comfortable. And um, it's very difficult for me. As I learned last week um, on retreat with uh, the singing teacher, Rhiannon, it's difficult for me to just sort of like... Um, have a feeling that maybe people around me aren't on board with what I'm doing, but I'm just going to do it anyway. I don't like that. I would much rather be on the same page and performing correctly. And she felt like what I did was perfectly nice and sweet and good, and she appreciated my heart and my receptivity and my uh, generous and respectful way of interacting with people. But she felt like my performance was really fundamentally lacking a certain kind of energy and rhythm and, for lack of a better word, joy. 
that she felt was a really important part of the work that they do, not just for the patients, but for the staff and for the families and for everyone, just the, the overall mood on the, on the floor as a whole. Um, she said it was almost as if I hadn't been there, that I had this very uh, kind of floating, gentle, um, sweet, uh, lyrical way that was perfectly fine and really appropriate for some patients who needed a more gentle approach or who were unresponsive, but that she felt like I really could have brought a lot more rhythm. I had a ni- little nylon string guitar, not like a big steel string guitar, and uh, and she just wanted she wanted people to be dancing and singing along and have more of a commotion or a party. And so I listened to her the best I could and started... Um, started just having a real interesting confusion between the intensity and the strength of my feeling of all of the death that I had just come close to and the intensity and the strength of my feeling of being uh, essentially the feeling of rejection, the feeling of being told that what I did wasn't good enough or wasn't the right thing. And I started losing track of, it seemed like the, I started losing track of the difference between them and the feeling that uh, my defensive feeling, the feeling of wanting to defend myself and just say, hey, F you lady, I did the best I could and, and I was following my intuition and it felt really good. So the fact that you don't like stylistically, you know, you're, you're into Michael Jackson or whatever, um, that that's not something that you should be imposing on me. But on the other hand, she is running a company that pays people to do music in hospitals, and she's been doing it for decades, and she has a system and a set of preferences, and I I think there was a sort of unwillingness on my part to, to see this interchange as an opportunity for her to vet me and for me to vet her. I think I got lost in deferring to her and wanting to be the perfect um, hospital musician according to her standards. And I, th- I think that I could probably learn a lot from taking a bit of what she has to say and taking it to heart, not just as a hospital musician, but just as a musician and maybe as a person, to really think about my own capacity to bring the energy and the rhythm and the joy and not just sort of uh, defer to the mood of the room that I enter, but to try to really uplift it. And when I can, maybe not aggressively cheerful, but really try to find whatever piece of joy that I feel like I really honestly have access to in the moment and spread it around some. Because, hey, why the hell not, you know? And... So I do feel like she has more than a little wisdom to offer me and that her feedback um, is ultimately going to be really helpful for me. But I also feel like my inclination to follow it, I think that there's an inclination to follow it for some of the wrong reasons. And those reasons are just not being able to tolerate not um, doing things to spec, not being able to tolerate maybe discovering that this person wasn't really into the way that I was singing there um, and tolerate the possibility that maybe uh, the way I was singing was the way I wanted to be singing there and maybe that 
is enough, that I was feeling some of the more melodic and lyrical things, and I was, I was also being gentle with myself and, and keeping myself in my comfort zone as I was having very strong emotional and spiritual responses to the presence of these people on the verge of death. So maybe it's fine for me to, you know, not necessarily see the living part of them yet, but still really being be confronted by the dying part of them. And then as time goes on, if I pursue this and it gets more normal, maybe I can find some of that um, normalcy and some of the life in them and connect to it. And then it will feel natural for me to sing them some up-tempo happy songs. So there was part of me that felt like after 90 minutes of sort of pouring my soul into opening up to this really intense new experience and doing what I felt like was a really amazing job of it, that I just sort of got told that, sorry, we can't use you, you didn't make the cut. That was sort of how I interpreted it. And I think that was very painful and maybe painful and stinging in a way that could be helpful for me, like to feel and experience, the to tolerate that experience of failure for what it's worth, you know? Um, uh, it, it wasn't necessarily failure, but I think that if I was a little more willing to fail and fail bigger and stronger and uh, without it pulling the rug out from underneath my image of myself, then I might be brave enough to take some more risks and really go into some very lyrical, very melancholy stuff. Or maybe really go into some really joyful, really crazy stuff. Or maybe just go completely off the charts and just have a completely unique experience. Um, I think I need that courage these days. And um, I wonder whether part of why I was so defensive or it was so difficult for me to hear that criticism was because I felt like she was onto something not just about my music, but about my life and my persona in general, that this gentle, spiritual, sort of NPR voice, uh, sensitive, lyrical guy is, is like a solution to a problem, which is like reality. <laughs> like this is my way of putting forward uh, a acceptable and sort of um, likable, charming persona that can deal with the stuff that's really hard to deal with. And maybe I don't need to, maybe I don't need to be that sort of like perfect gentleman and evolved spiritual, um, poetic, uh, gentle soul in order to confront the reality of aging and death and failure and rejection and imperfection and wandering and all of this stuff that is really scary in life. Um, maybe I can just be myself and have some faith that things are going to work out whether I, uh, whether I fulfill all of the expectations and standards that I impose on myself or not. That something, something's going on anyway with my music and with the world and with the music around me and with the people dying and with the people living that's just basically okay. And I can 
relax and try to figure out how I fit into the whole thing.